Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. We will finish up the book of Ruth this morning, Lord willing. Ruth chapter 4. Okay, let's begin reading in uh, verse 1. And what I will do today is I'll take a few verses, then I will comment on them, and then we'll take a few more verses and so on through the the full passage here. Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So we're back to the law of redemption. And so we want to look at a passage from Leviticus chapter 25. And this explains what is happening here in, uh, in these first few verses. When Boaz came together to meet at the gate of the city, this is basically the courthouse of the day. That's where all business transactions took place. That's where laws were enacted. That's where punishment was meted out and so on. That is basically the courthouse of the day. And so that's what he's doing. He's coming to the court uh, in order to settle this issue of redeeming um, the property. So Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23. The land shall not be sold pre, uh, permanently, the Lord is saying, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, And if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother has sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man uh, to whom he sold it, that he may return it to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, Then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return, and and he shall return to his possession. So we have here the law. That is the law of redemption. If a person has a piece of land and uh, uh, they put it up for sale because they're poor and they need the cash, then they're allowed to do that. But Every 50 years in the land of Israel, there was a year called the year of Jubilee. 
during that year of Jubilee, everything that was sold, as far as the land is concerned, was returned back to its original owner. Also, if a person sold himself into slavery, he was freed during the year of Jubilee and he returned to normal life all over again. So that year of Jubilee was a special celebration, let me tell you, when everything went back to the way it was uh, um, at the beginning of the 50 years. So in that law, it says that all of the land of Israel belongs to whom? God. He says that. It's all mine. I own it all. And God divided the land of Israel among the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes each gained a possession of land, of territory. And the families that made up each tribe was allotted a certain portion of that land, and that became their family land, that family ranch or the family farm, shall we say. And it was theirs, and it was to be theirs perpetually. It was going to be theirs permanently in that family. But, as we saw already, um, it could be sold, bought and sold. And every 50 years, as I say, it, could, it would return back to the original family. So let's pretend, okay? I'm a Jewish uh, father with the last name Robertson. <laughs> Doesn't usually work, but for now, let's call it. I, I'm a Jewish far, a father with the name Robertson. <clears throat> and... I have inherited my father's estate. And it just so happens that it is the year of Jubilee, and so I own it outright, and it's, it's worth $50,000. That's a lot of money for that piece of land 3,000 years ago. Okay? $50,000, let's say. And uh, the property values in Israel are different than the property values today. If I buy a piece of property in Castro Valley, my expectation is that next year that property is going to be worth more than this year. And hopefully in 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, it's going to be worth a whole lot more than I paid for it. That's my hope. And if you own property, that's your hope too. That's not the way things worked in Israel. So we call uh, property values today... Appreciating, uh, appreciating assets. It's, an asset is something you own, and something that is appreciating is increasing in value. In Israel, it was different. Property was actually a depreciating asset. And so, if you have the chart, I just want to show you um, what it looks like. <clears throat> so, if we say that the land starts off at... Is what? Oh, I see. Switch on the side. So let's just say where it says asset, it's actually worth $50,000. I had to monkey with the chart to make it work. Okay. But it starts off at $50,000. And the year of Jubilee, I inherited, I own that land worth $50,000. And I'm working the land and bringing in crops and all this sort of thing. But all of a sudden, I go through a financial downturn and I become poor. Well, what can I do? I can't work any harder. My land is only going to produce so much. And I've got all of these expenses because I bought myself a new, you know, Porsche uh, chariots. And I've got, you know, extra oxes or whatever. And I've run myself into the ground financially. But I have this land. 
And it's now 25 years after the year of Jubilee. So go down the chart, year one all the way to 25, it's worth $25,000. Well, that's a lot of money. And I could use it. I could pay off my Porsche. I could pay off my whatever. And I could live, hopefully, you know, better than I'm living right now as a poor man. And so I put my property up for sale. And somebody comes along and they pay, they pay me $25,000. And that's what the property's worth. And so they say, yeah, here's $25,000. Now it's our land to work the land to produce crops and everything else. And all the profit that I gain is mine, is the person uh, that bought it. Okay? That's how it worked. So I'm moving along for another 10 years, let's say. And so now we're down to year 35. The land is now worth only $15,000 because the other guy got 10 years worth of use out of it, right? You follow me? Okay? So now the land, because it's getting closer to the year of Jubilee, he knows that he's only got so much time left with it, it's becoming less and less valuable to him. It's now only worth $15,000. But hey, I was able to pay off that Porsche chariot. I was able to recover some of my losses. And now I have, not twenty-five. I have $15,000. And so I go to the courthouse and I want to redeem my own land. And I go there and I come up with 15000 bucks, and I say, here you go. And they take the $15,000 and it becomes mine. I have redeemed my land. Okay, that's redemption. What does it redeem mean in that case? It means I have bought it back. Okay, I paid the purchase price to buy back the land. So that's the issue that is at stake here in Ruth chapter 4. So if you follow the, 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 the chart... The land value is, is losing 2% per year based on that $50,000 number. Okay? Every year it drops by $1,000. So I don't know what year it is in this case. It doesn't say. But the land is worth something. And it's more than Ruth can pay. And it's more than Naomi can pay. And it, has to be, it can be redeemed. So if I can't redeem it, but I have a rich brother... And he says, hey, Don, you know what? I'll tell you what, I'm going to buy your land for you. And he comes up with the $15,000 in year 35. He could actually redeem it for me. Okay? A relative. He can buy it back into the family. And that's what Leviticus, the law in Leviticus is talking about. Let him count the years, verse 27, since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it that he may return to his possession. The, the, the original owner gets it back. But, suppose I sold the property when it was year 25. And in year 26, I died. What happens then? Well, naturally, it would revert to my sons. And so I have Luke, and I have David, and I have Daniel. Luke being the firstborn, uh, the oldest son... It goes to him. And so now he has the first right of refusal on the property. Problem is, he died. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> so that goes to David. And David has that option of now redeeming the land because he's the next in line. Only problem is, he died too. Sorry, David. That would then go to Daniel. But in, in Elimelech's case, he only had two sons. Okay? So, both of his sons died. 
there were no other sons left. The property was technically could go back to um, Naomi, but what it seems like happened here is that the property was actually transferred to the son uh, um, who was Ruth's husband, but he died. It became partly Ruth became uh, an inheritor of the land. Okay, we'll get to that in just a minute. So now you've got this complicated case where the original owner has died, the property needs to be redeemed, but he's not there to do it. So who's going to do it? Now you have to look for another near relative. And so if you don't have any more sons, then you've got to find somebody else who's a near relative. Does Elimelech have a brother? Does he have a second cousin? Does he have a kissing cousin? Does he, who, who does he have that can come in here and redeem the lamb? That's the problem. And so there are two, apparently. There's Boaz, who is a near relative. But, as Boaz has already said last week, there's somebody nearer than me. And so he really has first right of refusal. That's the whole scene that we have here in Ruth chapter 4, where Boaz comes, he sits at the courthouse, and he's waiting for Mr. No-Name to come by, because he's not named here. And he sees him and says, hey, you nameless guy, come over here. We have a deal that we've got to work out on this, on this uh, land. And so he comes down, and he sits down, and he listens to what, um, what has to take place here. And so he says to this man, he presses him to pursue his right, and he says, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. He said... I will redeem it. So as far as this no-name guy um, could see, there was every advantage to having... He, he could afford it. And there was every advantage to him because it would mean more land. It would mean more crops. It would mean more money. Why not? Yes, I will redeem it. And so that's what he said. Well, let's take a look at verse 5. Then Boaz said... On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz now discloses that there's an encumbrance on the property. How many of you have purchased a house? Okay, let's see, show of hands. Okay, a few of you. How many know what an encumbrance is? Is it something that you want on the house when you're buying it? No. Okay. So let me give you an example. Let's say the person um, who owned the property before you um, didn't pay their property taxes. Okay. Taxes are an encumbrance on the property. That means that they are owed. And I will guarantee you that the first person with their hand out is the tax collector. Okay? And when that house goes up for sale and that person has not paid their taxes, the first thing off the top is not the real estate commission. It is not the profit to the person who is selling the house. The first thing off the top is to pay the encumbrance on the house, and that is the tax, the tax collector. He will get first shake, guarantee you, okay? Uh, you can have other encumbrances on the house as well. 
um, there might be a PG&E, for example, on this property has an encumbrance on this property. They have a major gas line running right through the back of our property. And so that is an encumbrance. You have to understand that when you sell the property, that goes with it. Okay? You have to know that. Now, that doesn't stop the sale. You just have to recognize it in, in the paperwork. Okay? But in this case, there's an encumbrance on the property that Boaz wants to buy. And that encumbrance is named Ruth. She's a burden on the property. And the burden on the property is quite interesting. We talked about it last week, but I'm going to read it to you again uh, today. So, as I mentioned to you, it seems like um, Naomi's husband, uh, her late husband, Elimelech, owned the piece of property. At his death, the title must have transferred to his son, uh, Melon, who is Ruth's late husband. And when he died, Ruth was left childless. She did not have a son. So, um, in order for Elimelech's family line to remain in Israel, the law of Israel was that the nearest kinsman of Ruth was to marry Ruth, have a child with Ruth, who was a son, and the inheritance would transfer to that son. Okay? That's the, that was the law. It's not the law today, but it, is, it was the law then. And so that's the law according to Israel. Let's take a look at it, Deuteronomy 25. Just so you see where we're getting this from. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders, same situation we have here, and say... My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot in his face. I didn't really spit. Okay. Spit in his face and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. It was a shame. It was a shame not to do so. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Back to Ruth chapter 4, verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. Well, although the law allowed Ruth to seek to be redeemed, she had asked Boaz to perform that redemption. And so he, he was really representing Ruth in the courtroom. And he was taking, standing up for her. 
uh, a widow was to remove the sandal of the foot of the man who refused to, to follow the law, and she had it in, in his face. Okay? That was the, the disgust that she had, or the contempt that she had for him for not fulfilling his rightful duty as a uh, redeemer, as, as one to raise up seed for her, her dead husband. Okay? That was the law. Shameful thing to refuse responsibility. Verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have, re- I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. What the unmanned, unnamed man was unable to do because it would weaken his assets, Boaz did, condemning the man and taking Ruth to be his bride. Verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Well, Ruth became famous in Bethlehem. Boaz was a redeemer from Bethlehem. Then verse 14, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom, and she became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And she called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then you have the genealogy of uh, David from uh, Perez all the way through to David there. Okay? So we come to the end of this wonderful love story of Boaz and Ruth. Ruth the Gentile from Moab who took God at his word and was redeemed. And Boaz, the loving redeemer from Bethlehem. Well, we have about 25 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. I have another story to tell you. Okay? That one's finished. Now is the new story. This one's about you. So you'll probably pay attention to this one. Story about you. And here's how it goes. We're going to make some comparisons to this story in Ruth. Just as Ruth was a Gentile, born outside of Israel, and apart from all of the promises and the privileges that God had promised to the nation of Israel and to the Jews, so it is that you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Ruth was a Moabitess. She had no rights in Israel. And yet God changed the story entirely, didn't he? 
you were a Gentile, most of you were Gentiles, and you were outside of the promises of Israel. And what an amazing thing God has done in your life to redeem you. We're going to look at that. You were born into the world, but you were also born into sin, a world of sin. You were born with a sin nature. And the Bible says that you were born in born dead in trespasses and sins. What that means is that when you were born, you did not have a relationship with God. You were separated from God and you needed to come into a right relationship with him. But not only were you a sinner by nature, you were a sinner by practice. I mean, take a look at your life. Be honest with yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, what have I done with my life? I have sinned and sinned and sinned again. I'm a sinner by practice. And you were accumulating a debt that you could not pay. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And every time you sin, you add one more death sentence to your account. Just as you go to work and you earn a living, and some of you work by the hour and some of you work on a salary basis. So some of you get paid every week and some of you get paid once a month. But no matter how you get paid, you do get paid for your work. And whatever you're working at, at the time of your paycheck, you expect to be paid. And if you didn't get paid, you would say, hey, what's up? Dude, I worked for you for a week. I worked for you for a month. I need to get my pay. I earned it. I deserve it. I need to get paid. Well, the same thing applies with your sin. You earned it, you deserve it, you need to get paid. And the wages of your sin is death. Okay, And so we need to be just as determined before the Lord. Lord, I earned it. I worked for it. Are we going to ask for him to, to give us our wages? So, the wages of sin is death. Just as Ruth entered into the field of Boaz... And Boaz protected her and had his men drop handfuls on purpose for her to glean uh, from the field. So the Lord in your life has been kind and gracious to you. The Bible says in Matthew 5.45, For he makes his son to rise on the evil, that's me, and the just, and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God has been gracious to you. Every day he dishes out one breath at a time one heartbeat at a time to you. Every time that you get up in the morning is a new day that He has, has given to you. God has been good to you. The Bible says in Romans 2.4 that the goodness of God has a purpose. And the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God's goodness to you that He doesn't strike you dead every time you sin should be enough evidence that He is good. And He has shown His goodness to you And that he wants to shower his goodness upon you. That should be the evidence. If we got what we deserved, we would all end up in hell. That's what we deserve. But the Lord has dropped handfuls on purpose to us all through our lives. uh, And that we might turn to him. Throughout our lives, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, God has intersected our timeline. And he has called us to come to him to trust in Him and to be forgiven of all of our sins. Just as Boaz provided for Ruth's needs and gave her rest from the burden and the heat of the day, 
so the Lord provides for our needs. Jesus said in Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Just as Boaz, just as Boaz was a redeemer from Bethlehem, so we have the redeemer from Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was Zechariah who prophesied when he said this, "Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people." Just as Boaz, uh, pardon me, just as uh, Ruth came to Boaz by night and asked him to be her redeemer, so you and I must come to Jesus Christ and ask him to be our redeemer. It's a, it's a simple question. Will you be my redeemer? Will you be the redeemer for me? And so the Lord Jesus has said to you, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Just as Boaz said to her when she asked him to be his redeemer, he said, do not fear, Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, I will do for you all that you request. And again, he said in verse 13, I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Jesus said to you, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then when he completed the work of our redemption on the cross, he said, finished. Finished. Paid in full. Just as Boaz is described in uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, as having all of the wealth necessary to redeem Ruth. It says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. It would cost Boaz a great sum of money to purchase the land, to redeem the land. And it would cost him something personally to redeem Ruth to himself and bring her as a wife and perpetuate the name of her dead husband uh, in, in his place. It cost him greatly. And yet he was, he was willing to do what the unnamed man was unwilling to do. Or what the unnamed man could not do. So we read of the Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Just as Boaz was a near kinsman, so the Lord Jesus Christ became our near kinsman. It says in the scripture, who being in the form of God, did not consider it a thing to be grasped, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, he became one of us, a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the cost to redeem your soul. The Bible says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for us all, to be testified in due time. Just as Boaz was willing to be Ruth's redeemer, so Jesus Christ came to be your redeemer, and he's willing to redeem your soul. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. You know, I think there's an interesting thing in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down there. Just as Boaz had to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law and had ten witnesses before him, so Jesus had to fill the righteous requirements of the law and had ten commandments before him that he must fulfill. We can imagine that uh, as Boaz came before them at the end of the discussion, and after the, the discussion between the unnamed man and Boaz took place, and after, no, after Boaz said, I will redeem her, that Boaz must have turned to each one of these ten men sitting there as witnesses. And he must have looked at each one and said, I'll just call you Sam as one of the witnesses. Sam, have I met the righteous requirement of the law to redeem the land and to redeem Ruth? And he would say yes. And then he looked at the next man and the next man. And as he went through all ten men, each one of them gave their thumbs up. Each one of them said, yes, you have met the righteous requirement of the law. You may redeem her. You have done all things well. So Jesus could turn to each of the Ten Commandments. And if we could imagine the Ten Commandments as being people. And in turn, each one, as he went to each one in turn and asked them, have I met the righteous requirements of the Ten Commandments? And he turns to the first one and he says, have I in my life loved the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength? That commandment would say, yes, you have done all things well. And as he turned to the second one, or the third one, or the fourth one, and he says to the, to the next one, Have I told the truth with every word I have ever uttered on earth? And the commandment would come back and say, You are the truth. And he would acknowledge that he had fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. And if he went to the next one and says, Have I ever coveted anyone's silver or gold or anything that is my neighbor's? And each commandment, as, as he would go to them in turn, would have to answer the question, You, Lord Jesus, have done all things well. For the Scripture says, He knew no sin. And again the Scripture says, He did no sin. And again, the Bible says, In Him there is no sin. The righteous laws of God had been satisfied with a pure and holy life. The witnesses could turn to any other nameless person and they would have to say, I cannot redeem. There's no one else who could redeem you. There is only one Redeemer and His name is Jesus Christ. We cannot redeem ourselves. That's an impossibility. There's nothing we can do to pay the price for our sins and to redeem ourselves back to God. It's impossible. And so for those who think that they can work their way to heaven by being good, that's an impossibility. It doesn't exist. That's a figment of many people's imagination, but biblically, that's not even an option. For the law is against us. The law, the ten laws that are there, the ten commandments, they point an accusing finger at every one of us. And every one of those laws I have broken. The Bible says that if I've broken one commandment, I've broken the whole thing. 
And so those laws look at me and they accuse me. I'm the one who needs to be redeemed. And just as Boaz had to pay a price to redeem Ruth, so Jesus had to pay a price to redeem us. This is what the Bible says. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the wonderful thing is that even though Boaz had to pay a large sum of money to redeem us, that would not work in our case. There was no amount of money that could be paid to redeem our souls. Because it says in the Scripture, we are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is the only payment that there is that can redeem our souls. Just as there were many witnesses in the courtroom that day, so there are many witnesses in this room today who can testify of the fact that Jesus Christ has redeemed them. How many of you can say, I am redeemed, set free, forgiven? Praise the Lord. As Boaz made his way with his new bride through the streets of Bethlehem, there was blessing and there was honor heaped upon him for what he had done for someone who had been an outcast. There is coming a day, and it's not long from now, the Lord says, your redemption draws nigh. There is coming a day when Jesus will return for his bride, and he will take us home to be with him forever. And one day, as we walk along the streets of gold there in heaven, we will join a heavenly chorus as it sings throughout heaven and as the, as the sound rings throughout heaven. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I want to ask you a question. Can you say with absolute certainty this morning, like Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me, he said. If you are one of the redeemed, the scripture says this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the land, from the hand of the enemy. Wonderful story of a woman who was an outcast far from God. What a change of events that the Lord should make her in the line of the Messiah. That she should be redeemed. Your story is really similar. You were an outcast. You were born that way. You were born in sin. And the Lord is offering you today, if you don't already know Him, if you're not already one of the redeemed, He is offering you today to redeem your soul. To pay for your sins in full. Totally. Will he be your redeemer? Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, we think of this wonderful story of Ruth and Boaz. <clears throat> and Lord, although it is, a, it is a tremendous story of love and compassion and, and uh, redemption, 
Lord, how great is how much greater is the story of our redemption that you would leave heaven's glory that you who were rich would become poor for us and go to the cross and die in my place in our place and take my sins and pay the full price the full penalty for my sins and redeem my soul by your blood. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done for us and we just cry out to you, Lord, that each one here this morning And each one who hears this message would come to that place in their life where they would say, I know that the Lord Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.